This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. My name is Jackie O and you're listening to Militantly Mixed. Yo, this is Rashani from the Single Simulcast. And when I'm not making you laugh or making up parody songs, I'm kicking back listening to Militantly Mixed. Main Hustle Media podcasts are recorded on the ancestral lands of the Chumash, Tongva, Karankwa, and Hohokam people. And I wish to pay my respects to the people of those nations, both past and present. Konnichi, what's up, y'all? Welcome to Militantly Mixed, the podcast about race and identity from the mixed race perspective. I am your sir auntie, Charmaine Fury, a.k.a. the Blasian Blurred, the busiest mixed race by gendered bisexual polyamorous atheist comic book nerd cat mom and two time Asian American Podcasters Association's Golden Crane Award winning podcaster in this podcasting game. This is episode 182 and it is kind of the first time you're hearing back from me since I have been on hiatus. I did release an episode last week Mix Auntie Confidential episode number seven with Auntie Teresa where we talk about permission to be mixed, which is such a common topic that comes up to me, like listeners or guests or random people that I talk to about mixedness will reach out to me asking me to grant them permission to claim mixedness or ask if I if they qualify to be mixed. And, and the only reason why it happens to me is because I'm a person who hosts a mixed race podcast. I am by no means a grantor of permission for someone to claim mix, but I do have resources. I have anecdotal experiences that I can share to help you get to your own foundational, uh, your own grounded identity, I guess. Um, But the work is yours to do. All I can do is just continue to have these conversations that I'm having with mixed people on this show and and grow myself within that and use this show as a resource for for those of us in the mixed community that are just trying to figure out what our deals are, right? Uh, But it comes up so often that I would really love to keep this conversation going in community. I don't want mine or Teresa's to be the only voices you ever hear talking about this. I created the Facebook private group so that we could in community have more conversations. And sometimes it's pretty effective and sometimes... Uh, It feels like people are waiting for me to be the person to guide what you can claim as a mixed person, what your identity should be like, what your path should be like, and I am 100% not that person. Not because I'm trying to shirk a responsibility, but legitimately the only person who can tell you about yourself is you. Uh, But what I can do, and what I do do, is I provide a podcast that um, is partially private investigation for my own self and my own, you know, work that I do within mixedness to also being of service to the mixed race community, to the mixed community, and trying to share our stories so that we don't feel alone in our mixedness, that we know other people are out there in the world experiencing similar things to us. And and I will say that for me, being the person who pressed record on this show, I have strengthened my identity a thousandfold ever since starting the show because I've gotten to have so many conversations 
with other mixed people, uh, learning about their experiences, seeing what's similar to mine, seeing what's different from mine, letting my eyes be open to differences within the mixed community. And I have just grown so much as a person, um, full stop, but specifically within my own mixedness and within my own identity because I do this show. But what I would really, really love is for it to feel like an actual safe community space where not just I, but other people can voice their feelings, their opinions, and their experiences in group. And like I said, that happens sometimes, but not all the time. If you're not already a member of our private Facebook group, I know Facebook is fading out and everything like that. I, I'm still trying to figure out what ultimately I want to be the resource for all of us to grow together as a community. Um, but for now, it's Facebook private group. So if you would like to participate, please go to Facebook, search for the Militantly Mixed Podcast group, answer the questions, get accepted, and engage in that conversation. Um, I do post the weekly episodes, so you can use those threads as the place to engage in the conversation or start your own conversation within that. Again, that is a safe space for mixed people who have answered the questions and are listeners of the show and participate in. So you can feel free uh, to, to talk there. What it is not is a self-promotion site. You know, like most Facebook groups, they're not for self-promotion. So unless you're doing work in mixedness, so unless you're producing a book that's about a mixed race experience or a music or a film or a documentary or you're speaking somewhere, if it's mixed related, it's postable. If it's not, you'll have to get clearance before um, I feel comfortable sharing it. And that's because... I did used to leave it wide open, and I started to get some um, some things that were clearly not mix-related or just there for self-promo, and, and then had to remove some people that were basically just joining groups so that they could promote themselves. Uh, so I'm very careful about that now. So if you would like to post in that group, and it's mix-related, feel free. If it's not, um, it'll have to be evaluated before it goes out. And that's for the safety of all of us to feel like we have a place to just be our mixed-ass selves in. And speaking of being our mixed-ass selves, it is almost fall, and in the fall, I release a annual fundraiser t-shirt for the show with the Be Your Mixed-Ass Self motto on it. Uh, I've done this for the last three years, and last year's design was my favorite to date, but also I kind of went against what I was supposed to do, which is only let that t-shirt be available for 30 days, uh, in March or sometime earlier this year, people had asked me to bring it back. And um, to be fair, we had lost a lot of Patreon sponsorship at that time. And so I was like, yeah, okay, I'll open it back up. Uh, but I've only sold a couple of those shirts since then. It, it did better during the, the, the fundraiser. So I just kind of left it up and didn't think about it until I realized it's time to drop the new T-shirt. So I need to pull that shirt down. So I'm just going to announce as a courtesy, last call on last year's Be Your Mixed Ass Self t-shirt. Uh, it is available on militantlymixed.com in the merch tab. And that design is my favorite design so far. I absolutely love that design. But it is going to go away on September 30th. So you have a little over a week and a half to be able to cop that shirt if you want it because it's going to go away. It's not going to come back out. I, I don't re-release them usually. I did it this year, but again, it was because of hardship. Um, financially for the show, but I'm not going to do that again. The fundraiser, the annual fundraiser, is to help me pay for some of the annual fees associated with producing Militantly Mixed, and that has to do with my transcription service, my my website hosting, um, or my, yeah, my website hosting fee, 
and a couple other things that are related to producing the show, not to mention the monthly expenses that I have, like the podcast hosting, RSS feed hosting, um, the editing software that I use, the um, sound correction software that I use, like all the other stuff that I use for the, for the technical aspects of Militantly Mixed. Uh, that's what I use the Patreon sponsorship for. And frankly, I just don't make them enough throughout the year to cover those annual fees, too. So that's why I do this annual fundraiser. Everything that I raise on all the T-shirts, but especially the fundraiser T-shirts, go back into the, the show. Unless I specify a different charity it supports, like the Mixed and Hella Black shirt or the Mixed and Hella Asian shirt or the Mixed and Hella Queer shirts, those, um, the proceeds to those go to different charitable organizations. Um, but everything that I sell on the show all goes back into the show because I individually, Charmaine, cannot afford to pay for all the fees that go into producing this show. Even though technically it is my full-time job, I don't make a salary doing this, so I can't, um, I can't afford it. So that's why I turn it to, to fundraiser t-shirt. <laughs> uh, so keep an eye out if you want to purchase that last year's 2021 be Your Mix Ass Self t-shirt. It's going to be available till September 30th. And then the new Be Your Mix Ass Self t-shirt for 2022 will release near the end of October and the beginning of November. This year, that's how we're doing it. And let's see, what else? I haven't really talked about my experiences while I was on mental health hiatus um, on this show. I've done it on some of my other shows, so if you want to check out what the experience of Dragon Con was like, you can check out the August 6th episode of Blurred Comics, uh, featuring Mr. Gentleman, a.k.a. Lord Snow Cosplay. Uh, we talked about our mutual experiences at um, Dragon Con this year. And then on By Furious, I haven't released that episode yet, but it's coming out soon. I will be talking about my experience at Colexicon, in which I was a moderator and a panelist at that conference. And uh, the other conference I attended was Podcast Movement, which was a industry podcasting conference. And I don't really need to share that. That was more technical stuff. I did learn some things, and I've met some people that I've known in podcasting for years, but um, had never met in person. Uh, but it, it wasn't like it was like, oh, it's so fun. It was just like, oh, this is all business, and I'm trying to learn how to get better in podcasting. I did also visit my friend and co-host from the Blurred Comics podcast, Sean Bay, uh, aka Blurred Vision, up in Oklahoma City. His daughter was um, competing in a softball tournament, an All-American Girls softball tournament, so I drove up there so that I could hang out with them. But yeah, I, I traveled a lot during the month of August, and I didn't really find it a very restful time, but I was heavily motivated by what I experienced at Dragon Con and Colexicon, and um, I hope that you'll kind of see how that motivation plays into my podcasting over the next couple months, because... Um, yeah, it was just such a good experience, and I'm I'm really happy that I'm I've done that, and I'm also happy about how the downloads keep up during my hiatuses. Uh, I'm sure not of all all of you listen to the shows the day they're released, and so the fact that you still catch up on them, even when I'm on hiatus, is is really nice. So we didn't dip in any listenership or anything. It doesn't appear to be. It, it's just that, and it's just that people keep listening, and um, I thank all of you for helping me continue to build this community through Militantly Mixed and, and all these experiences that I get to have now just because four and a half years ago I decided to press a record button on my laptop. Um, it, it's just, it's, it's such good work. It's such good heart work to do Militantly Mixed. And, and then I get to do more like 
just for entertainment purposes stuff too because of podcasting now with blurred comics and and um I don't know it's just really really meaningful and I appreciate everybody for giving me that space for it and then lastly I guess I I did do some podcasting even though I wasn't supposed to in the month of August I released a new show so now I have a fourth show on the main hustle media podcast network this one is called queer and far it is co-hosted by myself and my friend shenanigans Uh, We are doing a podcast that is covering sort of tips, tricks, and travel resources for those of us who travel from marginalized groups. So between the two of us, we cover a lot of intersections, black and brown, femme, queer, disabled. Um, I'm the black and brown. She is a white, cisgendered, queer woman. Um, but we, uh, but she is also experiencing a transition into uh, learning about how her, her disability is going to affect her mobility going down the line. Um, we are both queer identified people. Uh, I, you know, obviously I'm a mixed person and I'm femme bodied by gendered identified. So we are talking about what it's like to travel within our bodies and within our intersections. Uh, and where are there safe places for us to go, where they're not safe places for us to go, et cetera. So that is the main goal of the show. In addition to the fact that she and I are both planning within the next six to eight months to leave the country um, to live abroad for a period of time. It happens that we're going to the same location, but we're not going together. Um, we're going, so we're calling it together-ish because we're going to the name, same location, but we're going a couple months apart from each other. And uh, we want to document that journey of what we experience. And since we are from different intersections, her being able to maneuver as a, a white woman with a sh- straight assumed privilege, uh, because while she is a queer woman and I am a queer person as well, we do both have male primary partners. I say primary because I'm polyamorous and so sometimes I have additional partners. And so her experience is going to be a lot different than my experience. I also need to know where it is safe to date if I happen to to date a female partner or a female assumed partner and, you know, things like that. So we're going to be talking about um, tips and tricks for traveling while marginalized, uh, where it's safe to live and, and, and um, travel while black, while brown, while queer, uh, while disabled, are there resources for disabled travelers, etc.? That is something that's very important to both of us, so we decided to start a show. And over the course of August, ju- end of July and August, we released three episodes. we got another one coming this week. Uh, so, yeah, from time to time, it'll just be general travel. Like, when I go somewhere, we'll talk about that. And sometimes it'll be a more resource-based episode in which we'll, t- we'll talk about, you know, where it's safe to travel while queer or while black, etc. We'll talk to some guests as well. And I'm really motivated by it. I'm really excited about it. So I hope you check it out. Again, it is called Queer and Far because the hosts are both queer identified people. And we hope to get far, far away from the United States. But it doesn't, it's not exclusively a queer based conversational podcast. It's, it's, we're going to be talking about traveling while marginalized. But come on, Queer and Far, that's a dope ass title. You got to give it up for that. Uh, so regardless of your status, please feel free to check that that out if you are a marginalized traveler or looking to be one because we will have a lot of good resources on that show as it develops. Subscribe, rate, review the whole thing. We're going to be developing our show through YouTube predominantly and then um, podcast. it'll be available in podcast form as well. Um, but if you want to check us out, go to YouTube, Queer and
man, this makes this intro pretty long already. Uh, but I'm ready to tell you about why this is going to be a slightly longer episode, but why it's going to be such an exciting episode. Uh, because I get to do on this episode something I haven't been able to do in the entire four and a half years that I've been doing this show. Four years and a couple months that I've been doing this show. So y'all know I call my guests and my listeners cousins. And that is sort of a throwback from um, my black heritage in that we tend to call other black people we encounter in the world cousin. Um, either people that we grow up around that aren't necessarily family, but we get close and we feel like family, or to random folks that we encounter just because we're, we have something shared going on in that moment, a shared interest or a shared space that we're in, whatever. Uh, historically, the reason why black people call other non-necessarily relative black folks cousin or aunt or uncle or what have you is really a throwback from enslavement. Because they separated us and took us from our mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and, and sold us to other people around the country, there were, we never knew if we were going to see our relatives again. And so we kind of assume when we meet and encounter other black folks that we are related. It's, it's just a throwback from enslavement times and, and reconstruction. Uh, so I just sort of took that experience that sensation that I feel when I call someone I'm not related to cousin um, and extended that into militantly mixed and, and the mixed community because um, the thing about family is you, you, you say someone's family because they feel similar, they feel familial. And when I encounter other mixed people in the world, I feel that. That's why I started calling y'all cousins. But on this episode, I get to share a conversation that I had with an actual cousin of mine, uh, my cousin, Tina Franklin. Uh, we are somewhat distantly related in that she's officially my father's first cousin, although her and my father never met each other. Uh, she is the child of my great uncle, George, my grandfather, Harold's brother. And we are very close in age, although... Um, we're from different generations within our shared family. Uh, we've never met in person, but we have known each other now for a little over a year and change because of a shared family group that we're in, like a, a, a Facebook group that we're in. That's sort of the, where we go to sort of share the health statuses of different relatives, plan the family reunions, et cetera, share stuff, uh, one place that we can all share um, stories for the people that are related within that particular family. And that's how I met Tina. And we've gotten a chatting over the course of the year and stuff, and we discovered that not only are we both re related in from the Franklin side of our family, uh, but we are also both black and Japanese. And God damn it, I wish we grew up together because it would have been so nice to have someone close to my age that was experiencing similar things that I was experiencing too, where we could commiserate and support each other and just like exist within that shared cultural space that we both have at the intersection of blackness and Japanese-ness. Uh, but we didn't grow up together. We found each other in our 40s. So, um, so yeah, we got to have a conversation for the sake of this show. We've been talking, but this is for the sake of this show. And what you're going to hear on this episode is in real time, we're sharing family stories that we've heard about the same people, but we have different versions of it depending on who in our family told us. And so in real time, we're kind of blowing each other's brains with like, oh my gosh, that's not the way I heard that story and stuff like that. 
in addition to talking about ourselves as black and Japanese people, as, as cousins from the same family, and all that kind of stuff. So this is all happening in real time on this episode, and um, and it, some of it's going to rearrange my thought process about the people I'm related to and where I come from, too. Uh, part of it messed me up a little bit, and I've been thinking about it ever since. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with y'all, and I do hope you enjoy it. Again, it is slightly a longer episode. I, I have edited it some, um, but the meat of it was just, most of it was too good to cut out, so bear with me on this longer episode. Uh, but it's a lot of fun, and it gives me an opportunity to be transparent in a different way than I normally get to. I mean, I'm very transparent on this show. I talk about my, my own experiences and identity. I, I talk about my mental health and all that other kind of stuff as well. But in this case, I'm digging into a side of my family that in some cases is tough to talk about because it's such a divided side of my family. And I'm just now in adulthood connecting to extended family that I didn't get access to until adulthood because of how separate my, my immediate side of my family was from the extended side of our family. So Again, I really wish I could have grown up with Tina. Um, I think we would have been good for each other as cousins that, that shared cultural heritage as well. But um, is what it is. We have each other now. So without further ado, please join me in welcoming my actual cousin <laughs> to the Militantly Mixed family, Tina Franklin. Today, I'm being joined by, for the very first time in the four years plus I've been doing this show, someone I'm actually related to, fellow Black Japanese cousin, distant cousin, who I've never met in person, <laughs> Tina Franklin. What's Hi, up? Tina. Hi, <laughs> What's up, cousin? Uh, yeah, it's crazy. It's like, not only are you a cousin, but you're Japanese, too. Yeah, we have the same mix. It's so, um, yeah. it's like, I didn't believe it the first time that you ended up mentioning you were also, you said something like, a mixed a Black Asian cousin, too? And I was like, oh, dope, I have another Blasian cousin. And then when we got into our conversation, you were Japanese, too. I was like, okay, this is... What I needed growing up this whole time, I needed right. another Black Japanese cousin. Right. Uh, yeah. Why don't you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience so that we can, we can, so I can get to know you too. Yeah. No, well, you definitely just said a mouthful and I, I don't have all of that. I'm just Tina. <laughs> uh, um, I live in Hawaii. I, um, I am a manager of my radio host boyfriend his name is Hawaiian Ryan local radio station here nice uh we do it's called Hawaiian Ryan Productions and we also we also have a podcast we call ourselves the Blasian Bunch right nice our you know my kids and him and uh and my mom we're always doing things together but we do have a podcast it's just like uh our just our life and we just talk about random stuff and um I don't we don't really promote it. It's just kind of like <laughs> therapy for us. Like, it's not like we're trying to, um, it's just like, we just randomly pop up live and then people who follow, you know, Facebook or YouTube, they just jump on and we answer questions and we just have conversations with people live and it's just fun. fun. Yeah. Yeah. So I have, this is my one that's like my flagship. It's the one that isn't, you know, I promote or I go speaking on, but my, my one that's like that is blurred comics where it's just me and my friend from, from when we were eight years old, we just get on to talk about like being mixed black and blurdy. 
Um, <laughs> we don't have a big following and it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's just like, I'll, I'll try to, I'll just, it is fun. It's just for fun. So sure. that's cool that you do that too. That, that was actually another draw when we, so I guess I'll paint the, I'll paint the scene. Um, I was transitioning out of California to move to Houston. Um, the, like the year before last, I was kind of reaching out because I wanted to see if we had any relative. I knew that we were like ancestrally from Texas and Houston area and stuff like that. So I was just reaching out to see like, was there any of us still out there? Cause I don't really know the extended family that we share. I know my immediate aunts and uncles. I was there around the time our big mother was, was passing Right. And I knew my grandfather, but I didn't really know his family. So I just reached out and I'm like, let's shot in the dark. Let me just see who we know. And so I made this post about me moving to Houston and a, a bunch of cousins popped up to say that they were either in the area or they used to be in the area. And you were one of the used to be in the area. Right. Cousins. Um, and it took a while, but we finally got a chance where we got we got to have a Zoom just to kind of get to know each other again. But or for the first time. But that's, you know piecing it together that you were not just an Asian mixed Asian cousin, but a black and Japanese cousin as well. So let's talk about first, how are we related? So who is Harold to you? Your grandfather? Harold is my grandfather, my yes. dad's father. Yeah. I know weird. Cause I, <laughs> I'm, um, I think I'm a couple years younger than you, right? You just said yes, you were in the ninth grade when I was in the seventh grade. So, yeah. uh, so he is my uncle. And what, order do you know what order the siblings are in yes what? okay um so my there's there's eight right mm -hmm. big mother had eight kids four mm -hmm. four girls and then four boys my my dad being the oldest of the four boys his he's george right george robert mm -hmm. uh and then uh harold walter lonnie and it, they're all two years apart and then lonnie six years apart so he was the baby uncle Lon. Mm, the baby of everybody okay yeah so, so for the longest I thought Harold was the oldest and I think that's because my grandfather was prone to uh exaggeration when he told stories oh. I <laughs> we're gonna get into it because I'm telling you right now <laughs> what you just said uh and just talking about like pre prefacing everything about Texas mm-hmm my dad said our family comes from Pasadena and that his father, right? So mm -hmm. big mother's husband was an orphan and chose the name Franklin. I have a different story. <laughs> right? This is like, this is a web I of heard. lies. Yeah. Like a whole different story. So uh, that's what I knew. My grandfather um, George, also George Robert Franklin, mm -hmm. uh, senior, uh, worked on a railroad. He was an orphan. He picked the name Franklin, him and his best friend. I think it was Butler. They moved to California from, they did say, he did say from Texas, but he said mm -hmm. he didn't know where, but they came from an orphanage in Texas. And when they turned 18, they got the boot. So that he went to California and grew up in Pasadena, worked in Pasadena on a railroad. That was my story. So the story I was told, and this is a mix of like stuff that grandpa, so we called him grandpa Frank also because he was air force. So everybody right. called him Frank. I don't know why we called him grandpa Frank, though. we had no other grandfathers around, but whatever, we all had to call him grandpa Frank. So Harold told there's stories that I heard directly from Harold because he liked 
us sitting around and listening to him. And then there's stories that I got from my dad who was telling whatever stories his dad told him way back when too. So the story that I have about George senior, our, my great grandfather, your grandfather, wait, yeah, your grandfather, uh, your grandfather, my great grandfather was that George was a horse thief in Texas, in the Clarksville area or whatever. And he got busted with a friend stealing horses, but he got away. He was also a porter on the air, on the railroad. That is the one part of our stories that, that kind of match up that he worked on the railroad and that he used to steal stuff from one spot, get on the train, sell it in another spot, steal stuff, get on the train, sell it, blah, blah, blah. But that him and his friend got busted stealing horses so he got on the train it was the last time he was gonna he was gonna get on the train he made his way to redwood uh, pasadena area like the whole like san fernando valley part of california and he was there but i was also told separately and this actually does come from harold directly to which one of our your first cousin my dad's first cousin i guess told me was a flat out lie (laughs) she's the one who corrected this for me my grandfather told me that big mother was saddled with some of the kids and he left because he got because he got busted with a horse and stuff and went to california and she was like you're not leaving me here with all these kids and so she packed up a wagon and took it out to california to be with him okay this is what Harold, my grandfather, told me. Our cousin Diana said, "No, all the kids were born in California." Yeah, and born in California. And my, my, like my grandfather would have been way too old if he had been in California. Like she was too young. Like big mother was too young to have been saddled with multiple kids by the time they were in Texas. But there is a thing that she came from Texas too. But the stories I've heard is that they were originally from Missouri and then Louisiana and then Texas and then California. So I don't know anything about Big Mother other than she had a daughter. Mm -hmm. And I know this one, too. Yeah, she had a daughter, but she was very, very young. So her mother and at the time, right, birth certificates are probably handwritten or whatever. Yeah. Or non-existent, maybe. She had a daughter and uh, her mother said it was her daughter. So she was always passed off as another aunt. But actually, yes. uh, she was a daughter. Yeah. Yes. And I've also heard that story, but I've heard it with one slightly painful additive, which is the father of that child oh. was, a re- was a relative. Oh, whoa. I didn't know that. Um, so I don't, again, these stories are all filtered through so many people, so I, I don't really that. know, but the story that I heard was that Big Mother's father was the father of her first child. Oh, yikes. So, but again, don't know. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't know because when I was so, the reason why I know some of the stories that I know is because I had, I sat down with Grandpa Frank, my, my grandfather Harold, and was like, hey, um, I'm writing this story, like junior high, my seventh grade year. I was supposed to write a story about where we come from and any of us that descend from the African diaspora, like, we don't know, like I I could only start from where we were here. And so I asked him a bunch of questions about where we came from here. And he told me we were from Louisiana. He never even mentioned Texas originally. And then over time, Texas became a part that got added. 
Um, and so the story that I heard about Big Mother's first child was was that story. And then the covered wagon story, which turns out to not be true at all. The horse thief thing is possibly still true, though. Wow. Because I think I mentioned it to Diana. I think she said there might be something to that. There was something about horses. But the adoption thing and the and the picking of the name thing, when you told me that, that really threw me because that will confuse that that confuses the search that I've been on like ever since seventh grade to try to piece together stories about us. Well, so. I can tell you, um, my dad, uh, your uncle, he was uh in the military for I always get them mixed up either 22 or 24 years. And Mm -hmm. then he was working for the post office for 22 or 24 years. I always Mm. get mixed up. Um, He was in the army for four and then he went to, Oh, so maybe it's the 24 is a, is military four years in the army and 20 years in the air force. Oh, really? Okay. A A lot of them did air force. I know that my dad did the Navy as a slight protest against his father, but because my dad and my mom were pregnant when my mom was 14 and my dad was 16, my my grandfather signed him up for the military. So again, I don't even know if that's true, is whether or not my my dad protested and said, I'll go to the Navy, or, oh, I know what it is. He, my Nana liked the Naval suits better than the Air Force suits. So, so my grandfather, Harold, said he's going to the military because he's got a baby on the way. And he joined the Navy because my that that just popped in my head. My Nana liked the yeah. suits better. But in both cases, on my both sides of my family, both of my grandfathers are Air Force. Both of them found their wives abroad, married, and came here and started having babies. So my Nana is Edith, not Edith, our aunt, but Edith, just a different old Edith. Right, um, right. Which I also think is wild that my grandfather would end up marrying someone with the same name of his sister, but... Maybe Edith was a far more common name back then. I don't know. That happened too. My dad married Ruth, which is our grandmother's name. Oh, yeah. And he married a Ruth. (laughs) That's weird. (laughs) So uh, there's a lot of weird stories in our family. But what's different about you and I is that you and I grew up. Well, we grew up differently and we're like I was around my first cousins all the time my dad's siblings kids and in some cases they lived with us but then from like 15 on I didn't see anybody again until I was in my 30s like many many years we spread spent apart I mean if not for like Facebook or anything like that I would never have even gotten in contact with some of them again uh, because I I had an abusive relationship with my father so I did not see him again after I was 17 the court gave me permission not to talk to him anymore so When I was 17, I called him up and said this was the last time we were going to speak. And then he died when I was 21. So I didn't have to visit that side of the family after that. Mm -hmm. And while he was dying, my Nana and one of my aunts were like harassing me over the phone and through the mail. And so I knew I was never going to be a part of the family again. But then cousins on Facebook and stuff like that, we started to reconnect. So my first cousins, some of us have reconnected. But in your case, you mentioned you don't even... Like, cause my dad is your cousin, but you didn't, you didn't grow up knowing, plus you're closer to my age than his age. So you wouldn't have grown up knowing him really. Right. Well, yeah, I don't want to, I won't say too much bad mouthing, (laughs) but my dad wasn't very, um, he, his words were not very kind about that side of the family. Yeah. So he was just always like, stay away. 
So that's what he did. So very, very like bluntly, like his sister, Aunt Catherine, um, was his favorite. Okay. And that was pretty much the only person that he trusted that he wanted to have a relationship with. Mm. And I can, <laughs> I will say this because it's kind of funny. It's bad, but it's funny. <laughs> so Aunt Catherine and Aunt Edith lived in houses right next to each other, fenced in the same yard. It was right across yeah. the street from Big Mother's house. From Big Mother's right? house. Yeah, I remember that. And again, my dad liked Aunt Catherine, no one else. <laughs> And so Aunt Edith, every day, would love to watch her soap operas, right? And she would close the doors and stuff because she didn't want to be interrupted. So that was the only time we were allowed to go visit Aunt Catherine was when Aunt Edith was watching her soap operas. So what he would do (laughs) is he would pass the street. He would drive past the street and go around the block and park where Edith, where you can't see the car, you know? Uh And then when, when the door closed, We'd sneak in through the gate and run into Catherine's house and we'd stay for almost an hour and then run out (laughs) before she opened her door back up. So Catherine must have been amazing because I believe she must also be Harold's favorite because Harold named his first child from a previous marriage Ah. after her. So I have an elder aunt Catherine and then and then my dad's siblings from my Nana are all different but yeah so Catherine must have been really special because she, she was she was, <laughs> she was uh really good to my dad and um you know he she was even like his beneficiary and everything like he mm. you know he really trusted her and only and matter of fact he told me if anything ever happens to me go you to go her. to her mm. yeah yeah so uh, so one of the things you and I were talking about before we hit record was uh like the near the end of big mother's life and and for clarity for the audience any of us that are mixed black out there it is big mother in our family it was not big mama don't ever try it so for that's why we're that's why we're that's why we stick to big mother for near the end of big mother's life like I remember going to the house and seeing her um, and there were aunts present that were caring for her but I didn't remember what names which aunts they were I'm wondering now if they might have been Edith and Catherine but then again I don't know when people have passed away so I don't yeah, know Yeah, they were the only two living at the time Aunt Clara and Aunt Georgia both passed very young that's right I do yeah. know that about Clara because I have a picture of Clara and that's the person everybody says I look like like that I oh, really? roughly have faces like my facial structure and her and stuff so I've it's so weird I've held a picture of Clara with me for years and I, you know, never knew her. She, she just oh, was wow. someone that I look like. And so um, it came up something and someone mentioned that I have a f- similar face to her. And we have like very similar eyebrows and nose up until we're here because I, I have the Japanese like no bridge thing at the top. And then I have my dad's nose at the bottom. So there's like things about her face and my face that are somewhat similar. So I have a picture of her because of that. But um, so, yeah, maybe it was Catherine and Edith that were there at the time. Probably maybe some cousins at that point, because, you know, again, uh, they're they're much older, right? Mm-hmm. Big mother passed away, I believe she was like ninety four or something like that. Yeah, and um, that, and that so, was in nineteen ninety three. Yeah, must have been ninety two, ninety three, because that I was I, I was about to be a freshman, or I was a freshman in high school, and you said you were about to enter seventh grade. And going, I was uh, it was going into the eighth grade, so it was summer after seventh grade. Oh, okay. And so their kids, right? They were all grown already. Mm-hmm. Plus, 
eight kids over a span of all those years, like the cousin's age, the first cousin's ages are really spread right. out. Right, right, right. But yeah, so like Edith's kids, Catherine's kids, they are all grown mm-hmm. by then, right? So probably the people that were helping were probably um, their kids. Mm. Like when you see, it was probably, yeah, cousins, not aunts. Do you, uh, off the top of my head, I can't remember now. Uh, Diana's mother is on our is, is oh her mother was Clara. I think so. Oh, okay, yeah. And so that's the other part. I can't keep track of who who was related to who. There there's so many of us. I I know that I went to a couple of the the Franklin Whiteside family reunions that happened in Riverside. So everywhere and in Riverside that has one of our last names, pretty much we're all related to. There's a huge, there's a ton of people that showed up to these things. So big mother's side of the family was called the white sides, which we always differentiated by calling the black white sides. And then because, because we had a white grandmother, we felt like we had to Mm -hmm. specify what we meant when we said the white side. And then the Franklin's on, on, um, my grandfather, or I guess our great grandfather, my great grandfather, your grandfather's side. I, we would go to these events and, and I, I, all I remember is like sitting there and just assuming I was related to everybody. I ended up seeing a bunch of boys that were about my age playing basketball at the park. And one cousin came up to me and she was like, who are you related to? Or who you, who you come from? And I was like, Brad, Harold's granddaughter. And she's like, yeah, those are your cousins. Don't look at them. And I just remember that being like, just an assumption. Like I was just watching. I didn't know anybody. So I was just sitting there watching some kids play basketball. And somebody just walks up to me that was like, yeah, you're related to them. Don't don't look at them like that. And I was I remember- always, because I didn't know any any of my family, right? Because my dad's like, eh, stay away, right? Yeah. So um, I did. Uh, even though I grew up on the opposite side of town, I would go like as a teenager, I started meeting people from the east side. Mm. Of Riverside. So I started hanging out over there. But every time I'd meet a guy and he'd like, <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know. <laughs> What's your last name? <laughs> yeah. Like, do you know my grandma lives on the corner of that street? Do you yeah. know that lives on that? You know, so, uh, you know, they knew more about their own families than I did. So they're like, yeah, I'm pretty sure we're not related, you know, but um, that's funny. But then, so one guy that I met, um, we were kind of hanging out and, and he started bringing his friends around. And for years, um, I've known these people. And then I just found out that two of them are my cousins. Oh, wow. Facebook. Yeah. So Gino is one of them. I don't know. Gino. I, I don't um, know if I've seen that name pop up yet. Yeah. So you should reach out to him. I think he's, I think he's Walter's yeah my uncle walter's grand that's his grandfather so, see because my dad was so old when he had me yeah, right yeah so everybody it's like oh that's my grandpa or that's my great grandpa i'm like oh yeah that's my uncle i guess that's also kind of wild while we're why we are so close in age too because you have an well i guess harold and george are closer in age but they're still Years older ago. right mm-hmm. yeah um but again my dad had babies when i he he was 16 when i when my mom got pregnant so mm-hmm that's why I'm so old. Like I'm old, like I'm older than like his, I'm the age of some of his cousins and my cousins are all way younger than me. Cause Mm -hmm. you know, well, I have two that are close in age, but they're like a year, a year apart, two years apart. Um, but other than that, everybody was way old, older, uh, younger than me. So I didn't really have like a peer cousin Uh for the most part until two of them moved in with us. And one was a year younger than me. and, And one was a year, maybe the same age as my brother or they were a year apart too. So when the four of us lived together and we all shared a bedroom and everything, um, that was like the only time I kind of had like a, you know, core 
group of people I was related to that that were my age and stuff like that. But other than that, I think, yeah, my dad didn't, my dad never, we lived in Long Beach, but my dad never, like, we went down there when there was an event to go down there, but he didn't, like, regularly speak to people we're related to because yeah. our sides of the Franklins is the same thing. Nobody talks to anybody. And, and so it was, it was yeah, making me laugh. Family reunions. <laughs> I know we're having family reunions and nobody talks to anybody. So what's weird is that like when we were going to the, to the white side, the black white side family reunions, my dad was the only one that would show up from his generation. Like maybe his sister, Karen sometimes, but not often. Um, but it was mostly just us. And I don't know, I don't know why, because my dad wasn't like when I was little, his brothers and sister and stuff like we were always together and then one day we just stopped being around each other uh, and um and so like when you were telling the story about how your dad was like only Catherine only trust Catherine that happened in my side of the family too where it was like I have an uncle Glenn who's my dad's younger younger I think he's younger by one year or something like that he's the only one that I kind of talked to mm. because he stayed out of the family drama stuff so yeah. like he we we have all kinds of family drama and people who didn't talk to this person and this person did that and this and that and this and whatever and so because he didn't talk to anybody he was the only one I kind of connected with on Facebook as an adult and started to to see I think I've seen him once or twice in the last like 30 years Mm -hmm. um but but yeah like so our our side of the family had that thing going on too yeah. And, but I lived with a lot of my aunts and uncles because my parents, again, they were teenagers and they weren't always very well equipped. So I lived with my own Aunt Catherine for a while. And then wow. I lived with my Nana. I lived with Uncle. Uh, Uncle. I lived with Grandpa Frank on occasion and stuff like that, too. So I was always being bounced around to different relatives. Um, and then one day the Franklins just disappeared. Mm-hmm. Like I was 15. It was after Big Mother died. Uh, I moved to Sacramento to be with my mom's side of the family and then no Franklin's ever like nobody ever showed up again. No one talked to us. No one picked us up. I think one time one of my uncles picked us up and hung out with us. And then after that, that was it. So it took to Facebook like 10 years later after high school for me to start connecting with people. And then I joined that family group chat group thing that we have. Um, but that one's tough because I don't like, I think like you, right. I don't know these people. I'm just related to these people. And so I've, I've met a few and I've chatted with a few, um, but then they'll reference something. And I'm just like, I don't know. Like we were kept from, from all of that. And I, I don't have a reason except that I think my dad and his dad didn't get along. And so if he knew his dad was going to be present, we weren't maybe, Mm. um, Something did happen to me, though, with Ancestry.com, which I, as a joke, I kind of took it because I wanted to see if I have any siblings out there that are secret trophies, (laughs) Um, (laughs) because that's a possibility in my family. Uh, But I was surprised once thinking I might have had a sibling or a first cousin pop up, because that's what Ancestry says. Like, if you're within first cousin, you could also be a sibling, whatever, or a half sibling. Uh, I got a hit and someone reached out to me. And they told me a story about how they were adopted out um, from Sacramento, California, which is where most of my my side of the Franklins lived at the time. Um, and they ended up being adopted by a black, white, interracial couple um, and grew up in Arizona and stuff like that. And so that they did the ancestry test. They saw they hit with me and they hit with Diana, I think, and a couple other people. And, and they were just like, I'm just trying to figure out, you know, who am I related to? Yeah, right, right, right. 
So she, she told me a story and I was like, based off the story that you're telling me, you are either my uncle Steve's child because he was a person who would disappear and just come back with children every now and then. Ooh, and sometimes they were his and sometimes they were just whoever was the person he was dating's kids. Wow. Okay. Um, and then there was, and then they would disappear because he'd break up with the person. And so like, we're, there's just cousins in the world that I used to have that I don't have anymore. And I don't know if we were actually cousins or if he just dated their moms or what. Right, right. Um, and so I was like, it's possible you could be his because that, you know, he was out there on the streets. I was like, it's possible you're my sibling because my dad was out there on the streets too. Right. Um, I go, or it's also saying, like, so I guess I got in contact with one of our other relatives and asked them a question. And they were like, well, based off of the way they're hit with me, they're my first cousin. And I looked again and mine updated to second cousin. I was like, okay, so they're not my first cousin anymore. So I had to look at grandpa, my, my grandpa Frank's uh, generation. And so from there, we think they are either the child of one of the girls who maybe disappeared for a period of time. Edith. And then came back. So that's a possibility. I didn't know which aunt that was. I heard, uh, I heard Edith had a, had a uh, kid. So there's that as a possibility. And then there's also possibly based off of the age, possibly Lonnie is the youngest boy, right? Yeah. He only had one daughter, one girl. There was a possibility that he had a girlfriend that got into drugs and then disappeared for a period of time hmm. and went up to Sacramento and they didn't ever get back together from what I understand. And it's possible that when that person disappeared, they gave birth up in Sacramento. So it, it could be Edith's kid or it could be Lonnie's kid. And now that I'm thinking about, it, I think Edith had a boy from what I heard, but, um, and then Lonnie, that would be interesting because he did only have the one girl. He's very involved um, with his daughter. Uh, and he was, he's actually funny. another thing. So my dad was married to Ruth. Mm -hmm. And Uncle Lonnie was married to Ruth's sister, Lizzy. Mm. And then they ha he had the, the the one daughter. I forget her name. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. But um, and then actually later later years in life, Lonnie um, moved in with my dad, and um, they they lived together in Reno Valley. And uh, and then my uncle Lonnie, I believe, had a heart attack. Mm. Um, so he passed when he was living with my dad. Mm. Oh, yeah. But I was going to say um, one thing. So my dad, you know, like I said, he was much older, right? He yeah. should be my grandfather, but he's my dad, right? Yeah. So he, I actually have um, three half sisters, mm. um, Barbara, Brenda, Beverly, and Bob. They were the four <laughs> Bs, right? So Barbara lives in Alaska. Wow. Um, Beverly and Brenda live in California. Uh, I think um, uh, Brenda, I think, lives in like, Montana mm. and then yeah they uh, all kind of stayed in that like San Bernardino yeah. and yeah and then uh and the last I heard Beverly was in either San Bernardino or Marino Valley so anyway those mm -hmm. are my three half sisters so all of their kids and they're the age of like around my mom's age mm. this is his sec I'm like his second family right so, yeah um so all of my nieces and nephews are a lot older than I am oh funny yeah, so I make them call me uh, Auntie Tina. And, I love it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's correct. <laughs> yeah, and so when I'm, and my, my, I'm, I'll just, I'm going to call her my favorite in case she's listening. Mm -mm -mm. 
in case she hears this. Yeah, but Jessica, um, I don't know if you've seen her on. I've our, seen her posting. Yeah, yeah Jessica Quintana. Um, that she we briefly lived together when um with my dad, and so uh, she's one of your nieces. She's my niece. Okay. Yeah, and one of and we're about the same age. She's like a year older than me. Funny. Yeah. So um we were we were close at a time when I was living in California, but. I mean, she's someone that you should talk. She's also mixed. Mm-hmm. She's black and Mexican. And she speaks um, Spanish. And she's uh, lived all over the United States um, and Puerto Rico. And she's got a really interesting story. Yeah, I'll reach out to her, too, because um, I have seen her posts and things like that. And I I didn't know how we were related. I just knew we were all part of that group. <laughs> you tell her. You tell her. Tina said. She wants to write your biography, your autobiography. Nice. Because nice. her story, her life has, has been so crazy. And I won't I won't like give up her stuff, but that's she's definitely one a cousin that you that you want to know. <laughs> I will I will check her out too. I mean, even in my side of the family, like my uncle Steve had babies with uh, he had an Italian wife. Um they had a child. For a period of time, we thought that child was my brother because my dad had an affair with his wife. <laughs> so, oh, my, like, my family was messy. They were like hella messy. Jeez. And then we found out when he, the kid grew into his shape, and then we could tell he looked more like Steve than my dad. So we just assumed we're cousins. And then uh, he had some Mexican kids. My dad has some half Mexican kids. They're his second family. So, like, all of our cousins are different. And then my uncle Glenn has Japanese kids. So they're wow. mixed. They're mixed like me. So I have I I had four cousins, first cousins that were mixed the same, the black, British, and Japanese, and then discovering that you were Japanese too. So there's there's some Japanese in our family. Um, crazy! I can't believe all these mixtures. You know, I had a hard time growing up. I bet. Actually, that's something we could get into because too now is like what what is your experience as a as a black Japanese kid growing up for you? It was bad. I'm, I mean, you don't fit in anywhere. I mean, for one, okay, my dad, um, you know, he was trying to, uh, you know, just be better for us. You know, we lived in a, a predominantly white neighborhood, mm. you know, a nice, nice area, right? Mm-hmm. So um, the school I went to it was one of only just a couple black kids, no Asians for sure. There's no Asians, couple black kids. But because I wasn't dark enough and because my hair wasn't, you know, was the way it was. It was like, you're not black, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, so, so like, how, what is your hair texture like? Is it, because it's straight right now, is it closer to Asian textured hair? No, it's, I don't even know, girl. <laughs> I'm having so many issues with my hair right now. It's not even, um, you know, I'm going through this thing where I'm trying not to, because re- I put a lot of chemicals. I used to mm-hmm. dye my hair and now I, I used to relax my hair. So now I'm trying not to, but it's, very very difficult um because you live in a humid climate too so well it's just i i've been having relaxers since i was in the fourth grade my mom didn't know how to do my hair you know Mm. so like relax it to brush through to just to be able to comb through it and then um it's kind of like it's not curly it's just kinky it's just you know and it's like the kind where like you brush it out and then when you go to brush it again it's already got got tangles again you know, it's mm. just really hard to to deal with. And I never really knew that. But my my both of my daughters decided to go um, natural. Right. They're mm-hmm. on their natural hair journey. Um, beautiful, long, you know, thick, curly hair. So I'm like, oh, and they're, they're telling me, stop relaxing your hair. It's not good for mm-hmm. you. So 
I'm like, okay, I'll do it. And um, my new growth is probably like this. Okay. <sighs> Girl, I just don't. <laughs> I can't. I'm just like every day and thinking about this every day. Like I just want to relax my hair. I just want to. And so I'm having to flat iron it more often I than I like to because it's not a consistent curling pattern for you to feel comfortable with your curls out. Well, no, I don't mind it, but it's just so like it's like what happened. And because the relaxer, right? So I would have to mm-hmm. do like a big chop. It's like mm. thick, thick, wavy, kind of like kinky and then like stringy, straggly, straight. Yeah, I did a big chop a couple years ago. So my hair is mostly Asian textured hair, but if it grows past my shoulders, that's when it's the wave kicks in. So I technically have like a one B textured hair. So it's like fine, but there's a lot of it and um, and it stays straight for a long time. And then and then it starts to wave. um, But again, if I go into if I go into humidity, like I live in Houston now, it just kind of rises above my head level. So it looks like I'm wearing hair like a hat. but and I, I've lost a lot of hair be- in the last like 10 years because I've been coloring it for so long. But um, but my mom used to give me perms because she even though she's my Japanese parent, she went to hair school to learn how to do black hair. My mom so, did, too. What the heck are you? My, my mom's exclusively a black hairstylist. Like she, she's a Japanese, a white lady who only works with black hair. She doesn't work wow. with anybody else. So had I been born with more obvious black textured hair, yeah. I would have been fine. Um, but I, I did the, I did the perm, the, the curly perms because I had a complex about not having curly hair. My brother wow. has curly hair and he would get rea- relaxers cause he had a complex about having curly hair. Isn't that how it always is? Right? <laughs> it was so <laughs> annoying. <laughs> yeah. When I was in Houston, um, I, yeah, the humidity was bad, but mm-hmm. in Houston, the cost of living is so much cheaper than here yeah. in Hawaii. So I used to, it sounds so spoiled, but I used to get my hair done every week. Yeah. So I just stayed. My hair was always done. And I, and I moved here. And first of all, there's no one in Hawaii that can do black hair. Yeah. Um, I've tried several times and I come out crying. So I stopped getting my hair done. And so, I, you know, it's either I do it myself or I'm just like, I just don't. Like I said, I'm going through this thing and I'm just like, holy moly. Mm. Um, but yeah, Hawaii, it's 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 difficult. I've 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 usually I'll put my hair when it gets real crazy I just put it in braids Mm. oh and luckily like I know how to style black hair so like I could do braids or cornrows or you know all that kind of stuff I should probably do it a little side hustle because I'm telling you Hawaii is expensive (laughs) I bet yeah Yeah. Hawaii is a place that was on my list of possible move places Uh, part of the reason because I have so much family out there so all of my Japanese side of well most of my Japanese side of family moved to Hawaii so they're all on Oahu Oh, um, and I, I, I grew up going there over the summer. Hmm? Yeah, come see me. I'm on Oahu. I haven't been out there since my high school graduation. That was my last time out there. I was, um, but we'd go for the summer and we'd go for like a month or whatever. And, um, and, and so most of my grandmother's sisters live there. My great grandparents live there until they passed away. I grew up with my great grandparents too and, um, and stuff. So like Hawaii feels like a second home place. But it's expensive, it's, and we already lived in LA and drained all of our finances living in LA for so long. Uh, so now, now we're going to go abroad. But Hawaii was a, oh. a spot I was considering for a while. Dude, do you know that the median um, house price here is a million dollars? So ridiculous! Is that nuts? Like yeah. I don't even know how I look around. I feel I feel so you know I'm just so lucky because 
um, I look around and like people have two, three jobs trying to make it. I mean, but you know, it's like, that's the price you pay, right? It's beautiful. Like today yeah. is like the perfect weather beach day, no cloud in the sky. Yeah. You know? It's like, it's, it's crazy, but you, you know, you're paying for the, the weather and the sunny sky, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then the, the impact of all the tourism and stuff like that too. Like, I think that also impact, well, obviously that impacts your cost of living and stuff but yeah. it's hard too because I always felt like I wasn't a tour like I never did a single touristy thing in Hawaii like I've never been to Diamond Head I've never done you know I think we went to the Dole Plantation because we were kids and or something like that but we never did any of the touristy things mm. so I don't think about Hawaii like that in the way that other people do and so I feel like th- I don't feel I hate to say that I'm, I don't feel as bad when I go to visit as like I think tourists should feel (laughs) you know what I'm saying like because the impact of of tourism or whatever but you know it's because I'm usually staying in someone's house and sleeping on the floor and all that kind of stuff um but it's something I do want to get out there I I definitely do want to get out there for a visit it's so crazy how many parallels our life has like never met each other didn't know each other existed till last year I didn't even know what two years ago I didn't know it's that long already that you've been in Houston wow well I just got here last summer but it was about it it was it was about like seven months or a year before that that I started to get join that group and start to talk to people um and it was more like uh I guess it just has a lot to do with um unanswered questions I think that I feel like I have because I did grow up with my father and we grew up in predominantly black neighborhoods. And so even though I'm a lot paler than you and, and stuff like that, I don't code as Asian to people. I usually code as black, but I also grew up around black folks. So I was never given the like, you're not black enough thing. I was always given the, you got a black dad, you're black. So like kids mm-hmm. in my neighborhood knew me as the black girl, the like black girl with a Japanese mom. So I don't even have the experience that a lot of my guests even have or what sounds like you had Um, because I grew up around black people in the time that was pretty much like if you're if you're a little bit black, you're black, like kind of like the way the one drop rule was owned by black, like taken over, I guess, by black folks. So I don't have a complex or issues or I wasn't black enough feelings necessarily except that my own image, because the women I grew up around were dark skinned black women with natural hair and stuff like Mm. that. So I always thought that's, that's what beauty is. And I'll never be like that. So I'll never be. So my, my black person complex has to do with me not being what I viewed as beautiful compared to them. My complex hits on the Japanese side where even to my grandmother who loves me and, you know, I've lived with her and spend a lot of time with her. She'll say, why do you care about Japanese stuff so much? And I'm like, cause I'm Japanese. And she's like, no, you're not. Aww. And so what I didn't understand is that from her being from Japan, I'm not, I wasn't born in Japan. So I'm not Japanese. Mm. She also doesn't view herself as Japanese anymore because she left Japan and married an American. Okay. So she's an American. So when I talk about like, when I'm trying to explain to her, like the ethnicity and the, and the cultural connection, that's, that's done. That left us behind the day she left japan oh and so my complex has to do with not being asian enough not being japanese enough my language because here the military had told her not to teach her kids japanese because it was bad enough they were half breeds so it was going to 
confuse their brain. So she was so terrified that she'd eventually get deported if they found out any of us spoke Japanese that even by the time I came around, she wasn't teaching Japanese. Wow. Um, so there's some words I know and only knew in Japanese until I went to school. Uh, but I don't, I'm not fluent. I have to teach my, you know, I have to keep doing classes to learn. And so I, I just have really spotty Japanese. And then if I go to a Japanese space, I always feel like an observer, not a participant. Wow. So for me, I have the, I'm not Japanese enough complex, but I feel completely fine and comfortable in blackness. And uh, when I opened my comic book shop here in Houston, we called it, you know, first black owned. And it was like my partner, my business partner was, was black too. So we eventually started saying black and Blasian because I had to wear a mask. And when I wear a mask, all of a sudden, no one knows I'm black anymore. Um, and wearing a mask also is the first time I started getting coded as East Asian. No one ever thought I was East Asian. If they thought I was Asian, they thought I was Filipino. Um, so I just, I, so for me, I, I have Filipino. Huh? I get huh? that Filipino. I get I that. Bet, yeah, yeah. I bet you would too. Yeah. Um, and any of us that are like vaguely Asian in the face, you know, we all like, you know, we'll get, we'll get Filipino because they just assume everybody mixed into the Filipinos in some way, shape or form. Um, the funny thing is, is I got real close to Filipinos growing up though, because they were the closest Asians that I could like be around mm. um, until their parents found out I was Japanese. Then I wasn't okay. But that's because I didn't know because Japanese or American education system didn't teach me what Japan did in, in the Philippines. So I didn't understand why the parents didn't like um, Japanese people in their house and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so that's where my complex is. And it's not even that big of a deal for me necessarily, because for the most part, I just feel comfortable, more comfortable around black people anyway. But I get this craving, you know, sometimes because like my food, my favorite foods are Japanese. My my favorite like style of movies and things like that are Japanese. But I can't just maneuver like a Japanese person. Mm -hmm. And for you, you mentioned like you weren't you didn't you didn't really fit in anyway but that's because you didn't have you also didn't have asians around so you didn't even really get to test as a kid like if you were going to be accepted i by grew anyone. up i grew up very asian like a uh, asian household you know my mom um is buddhist uh we went to meeting i would go with her to meetings with all our japanese friends um but there weren't any japanese kids around so i wanted to hide that side of me mm. i didn't want people to know um you know like the big gohonzo in the prayer box right in the middle of the <laughs> You know, in the middle of the house, I'm like, yeah, we have to have this here, you know, yeah. it's like right there for everybody to see yeah, yeah. <laughs> incense burning, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, that it was it was it was tough. And and so I really didn't for a long time. I didn't know, um, you know, like what I was or who I was, what mm -hmm. I was trying to identify as. I just didn't know. Um, when I got into high school, most of my friends were black. Now, now there are more black people around. And okay. uh, then I was, a, you know, from different other, you know, elementary or middle school. So I had a lot of black friends. Um, and I think the times just started to change a little bit, you mm -hmm. know, by the time I was in high school. Uh, and then I identified probably a little bit more black than Japanese and I actually mm -hmm. swore off when I was little, um, I did speak a little Japanese and people used to say like, Oh, say something, say this, say that. Mm -hmm. And then I said, they're like, that's stupid. Or that's weird. You yeah. Know? So I, um, I swore off Japanese. I said, I was never going to speak Japanese again. That was like when I was in the seventh grade and I didn't for years and years. Um, then I ended up moving to Japan briefly when I was about 25. Mm. 
Um, and it all kind of just started to come back to me. And oh, then yeah. I realized I was like, I love Japan. I love my Japanese culture. I, um, my Japanese family. And, you know, so then I started getting more into like, you know, but it was older, you know, so it's like, yeah, I am black and Japanese. That's, yeah. that's who I am, you know, and I embrace both sides. I embrace uh, all of it. And so, and then actually, so my boyfriend is Japanese, Chinese. Um, mm-hmm. I swear he has something else because he's got green eyes and he's oh, like, interesting. so there's, there might be something that was mixed in there way back or something that no one yeah, knows I'm about. Like, I'm like, I'm sorry to tell you, but some <laughs> one of your little Asian uh, relatives jumped the fence. I mean, in in China, they they had the the British there for a long time, so they could have right. gotten right gotten so, there. So I got two ancestry.com uh, tests right mm-hmm. two years ago, and they're still sitting on <laughs> the dresser. We both have not taken it. I keep saying I want to. Um, just like my reason is different for his and his is like, I need to know where those green eyes came from. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I'm like, dude, I might be more Japanese than you, right? Yeah. Japanese, Chinese, but I know for sure I'm, my mom is hundred percent Japanese. Yeah. I don't know about my dad's side, but my mom is hundred percent Japanese. And for him, I'm like, you don't know what your Japanese side of your family was doing. Cause <laughs> you know, um, well, yeah, because it's true. Because even so, there were Portuguese that came to Japan. There were Dutch that came to Japan. There could be a random Hafu somewhere that ended up China, just both in China both. too. Yeah, yeah, like I well maybe because the Portuguese probably most likely had green eyes more than the British did. That's possible. Yeah, that that's the reason why. Because I know, like as a black person, it's kind of hard to spit in a tube and send it away and just trust that the system is going to protect you and stuff <laughs> like that. I did it. Like I said, my motivation for doing the Ancestry.com was literally to find out if I had um, trophy siblings. I call them trophies because when, you know, leave little trophies laying around. And uh, I did the African Ancestry one because I wanted the specifics. Because what what Ancestry.com does not do is narrow down your African heritage. It basically will pull the Bantu people, which is, they were nomadic. They started in Kenya. They worked their way down South Africa. They worked their way up the Western coast. So all of us have been, any of us from the diaspora has Bantu in us because they were a nomadic tribe. So ancestry will say, you're a little bit Nigerian. You're a little bit um, Ghana and you're a little bit from this and that, whatever. Um, But it doesn't really give you a fuller picture. And African ancestry, which is unrelated company, it's owned by black folks. They have over 35,000, at least at the time I did it, the 35,000 markers, DNA markers in their thing for Africa. Whereas ancestry.com only had 5,000. So that's why you don't get as as clear a picture. Same with Asia. Asia doesn't really have as clear a picture. So you are going to get a more broad thing. That being said, like, like for me, the Japanese came back um, mostly Japanese, a little bit like three percent outlying Japanese island Mm. and and then like one percent Korean which I know my grandma would be very upset to find out. <laughs> but like, for me, I was, I like, I feel like it's just pr- probably a real big blend of how, you know, which my, my both sides of my Japanese family are um, samurai. So they have like very specific class. Like, that's why I think it was so, so much more Japanese than possibly mixed because they probably stayed in their same area for a very long time. But the British side is very specific though. Like the white, they have so many DNA markers for white. So I, I, yeah. 
I, I know very specifically. And it matches with what I know about the British side of my family as well, the Welsh and the Scottish and everything. But what about um, the white, white part of your family from uh, my mom, from your dad's side? Because you have so, both, right? White so, and- so we're actually pretty, the way we pop up on the African side is we're mostly black. We, we maintain, even, even through me, it, it hits mostly, like mostly Jesse. African. Um, I know because you look at Big Mother and you're like, so, there's a story behind she's Big like, Mother. She's a quarter white. That's what, I mean, again, who knows? That's what I was told. I was told that, yeah, she was uh, a so, quarter white. My dad actually has red hair. Yeah, we have red in our hair like that because my aunt has a lot of red in her hair. And there's no red in the hair on the British side of our family because our British side were originally Spanish and then mm-hmm. became and then went to England and became English. So there's not really much red hair on my British side of the family, but it does come from the black side of the family. Uh, I'm not saying that we don't have any. I'm saying that we managed to keep a lot of black in us, though, um, because okay. the way because even for me, the way it pops up. I'm still popping up at about 23% African. I'm a quarter black. So me popping up is still 23% is a pretty good indication that like, I don't think there was much in, in uh, uh, our great, my great grandfather, your grandfather's. I don't think there was much whiteness in them. I mean, first of all, they were very dark skinned, but I don't think anything's pinging for that because right. when I, when we pulled with the African ancestry, you have to do paternal or maternal testing so i had to have my uncle do it because my dad's black so i can't get it i can't get specifics from my uh, mitochondrial dna i would have to get it from the patrilineal dna so my uncle i paid for it but my uncle spit in the tube and for him what popped popped up was mostly gabon um, or what's currently gabon three tribes from gabon the coda the atike and the sogo people Gabon didn't enter, enter, legally didn't enter. Well, legally. I hate that I even had to say that. Gabon wasn't a sanctioned part of the African slave trade until the last 10 years of quote unquote legal trading of humans, right? So we probably didn't mix too much because we probably didn't get here until maybe like the 1840s. Yeah. So if you if you talk to the uh, family historian, who is that, Diana? Mm-hmm. He says we were never slaves. We were, we came here freedmen because after after slavery was over. Yeah, so that surprises me only because there is something that I saw one time years ago that does show something a ticket in Missouri that that possibly mentions an enslaved relative. So I would be and and the story I always heard is that we were from the Galveston enslaved, that we came through the Galveston ports, which does line up with yeah. history because a lot of the people from Gabon ended up going through the Galveston ports. So and we, did, me, we didn't know we were from. Uh, Pencil- I think she said Pennsylvania, by way of Pennsylvania, I think she said. Mm. I'd uh, have yeah, to look at that. It so, wasn't yeah. southern, it was east coast. Yeah, I, I never saw that. I, saw, I, I have seen some stuff from Big Mother's Ancestry coming through Missouri. I have seen that. Um, I, and, uh, but in terms of the coming through the Galveston ports, like I was always told we came through the Galveston ports and that's, that lines up with history because Gabon came, people from Gabon came through the Galveston ports, but also our family didn't know we were from Gabon. Mm. So like the DNA test had to show us that that, so I think there's something to, I mean, I don't, I think it would be unlikely that we had no enslaved relatives. Yeah. Um, 
but whether or not, you know, because we have two different sides of the family, right? We have the white sides and there are white sides in Texas as well. And they have, they both have a white, white side uh, cemetery and a black, white side cemetery. Mm, um, wow. So I don't know if that's us or just another family that happens to be called white See, side. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Cause I heard that the white side people were actually, they were white. I mean, that's not po- that's not impossible. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, it's very like much Mr. Mr. What the the white man, Mr. Whiteside impregnated a black woman, which mm-hmm. was my great, great grandmother. And then by the time it gets down to big mother, she she's was a quarter. A quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was very fair skinned too, or at least she was very fair when I saw her. But I think I've seen pictures of her from the 60s where she's kind of light light but medium kind of tone she was a little bit darker when she was younger um yeah she's pretty i think the pictures probably she looked very white when she was a baby she she was very fair skin even my dad was even it's weird like pictures he looks darker Mm -hmm. but he's actually very fair skin too like maybe my color almost maybe a little bit darker than me what made him dark was working working yeah the pictures of them when they were children of that generation, you know, um, your your dad's generation, they all look pretty dark when they were kids. My grandpa stayed pretty dark throughout his life. Mm. Um, my dad, like my dad and all his siblings, I think my dad is one of the darker of all his siblings because he's he's closer to your coloring. Um, whereas like down to his his one of his sisters and one of his younger brothers is is kind of light, you know, lighter skinned or whatever. But yeah. um, but they all kept a lot of melanin in them, even though they were half white. Um, and then me, I, like I don't know, I'm not. I, I my brother and I don't share the skin color, so like we don't like. I'm the only person colored like I am, and my brother's the only person colored like he is. Like we don't. Wow. Um, we're we're similarly light, but he's slightly darker than I am, and he has more red tones in his skin, mm. and I have more yellow tones in my skin. So wow. um. So I don't really know like how it got down this far, but even on the Japanese side, our Japanese is a little bit on the darker side of Japanese as well, um, which my grandmother blames on her father because he was, while well, he was samurai class, he was a lower samurai class. So it's possible that he was more of a farmer mm. class, you know, or a transitional class or something like that, whatever. Whereas my great grandmother's family was the Matsumoto's and they were like one of the Oh top. my gosh. Yeah, we're Matsumoto. Matsumoto? Mm-hmm. Don't tell me you're Oh, because your your boy your boyfriend. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, we talked about this. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Matsumoto. That's yeah. Right. Holy cow. It's just nuts how many things that are similar. So definitely do the test and let's I see know. if your boyfriend and I pop up related. <laughs> Holy cow. Wouldn't that be crazy if you show up on mine and his? And I show up in Hawaii like, hey cousins. <laughs> what the heck? So That's I actually not. know, like, my family still is connected to one of the houses that are Matsumoto. Well, also, to be fair, the Matsumoto clan was one of the largest fa- clans okay. as well. There's okay. over, I forget exactly how many it is now, but there's like 26 or more different come uh, uh, on for, so that means different families within the Matsumotos. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, don't, I, I, ha- I can share mine. I'll, I'll send you, I'll send you a picture of my Matsumoto um, thing. I don't know if 
if your boyfriend has his uh, come on but um, yeah yeah definitely the i'll send um, you the one that is ours the one that i have tattooed is my other side of the family the hanioka that's uh, okay. that's um the lower one the reason why i haven't done the the matsumoto yet is because my grandmother and her sister are fighting over the directions that the pine trees face oh so one remembers them leaning to the to the right and one remembers them leaning to the left uh and so and it makes a difference because then now you're talking about a whole other family <laughs> yeah i could be talking about a whole other family so yeah. that's that's why i haven't tattooed that one um because i'm still waiting for somebody to get to the relatives that we have that are still manning the house that comes from that time period yeah. uh, that my great grandma that my grandmother grew up in but she and she's the oldest so i'm i tend to believe her but the youngest might have a clearer memory I don't know. So that's why I haven't done that one. But I, I'll show you the, the one that it's based off of. And really, the two symbols are exactly the same, but with the trees facing different directions. So if he knows his, we can find out that way, too. Yeah, definitely send it. I'm interested. This is fun. I'm going <laughs> to tell him today, like, look, you better get over whatever kind of conspiracy. Spit in that tube. Yeah, I want to know. Um, um, I guess I could take it, you know, do the test by myself and, you know. Mm -hmm. me doing it will make him want to do it when I get my results back but he's like I just don't know what they're using it, you know what they're I'm like look yeah stuff well I'm just like you think that the your little spit in the tube is gonna make any difference at this point like social I mean media the world of our information <laughs> the world is burning down our phones are tracking it like there's <laughs> some things that are like just it's it became a smaller issue. I have my concerns, but it became a smaller issue when I was in this place of like needing, I guess my biggest motivation was needing a bridge to Africa. Cause I've never described myself as African-American. I didn't think that was appropriate because I don't have an African, a direct link to Africa. I don't feel like I understand the African cultures that I might've come from, you know, blah, 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 blah. But what I do feel like I understand is being black American and like, the, the neighborhood I grew up in, the people I grew up around, we were black people. We weren't African-Americans. African-American didn't start until I was a freshman, sophomore in high school. They didn't start using that term until that time. And so by that point, I was a fully formed person in my head that understood myself as black, Japanese and British. That's how I described myself, black, Japanese and British. Um, because I wanted to distinguish the kind of white. Cause I didn't want to just say English. Cause that could be, I could have been here all along, yeah, sure. but like yeah, sure. I literally have a British grandmother. So that's why I say it that way. And um, I got, it just like, it got less important for me to be worried about how they were going to use my spit versus <laughs> um, I needed a bridge. I needed to find out something that connected me to it. And then to find out that we were from Gabon and not from Ghana or Nigeria or something like that. Right that put a different level, a layer to it for me as well, because the more I start studying the Atike and the Sogo and the Kota people, there's stuff I'm seeing in the Kota people in our own family. Like mm. they were a pygmy polygamous tribe. And that's funny to me. One, because I never thought we were very tall. Like even the men in our family aren't very tall. Like no, almost no one cleared six feet in my dad's siblings group. And I think, I think they did. My dad was six foot. I think Walter was six foot. I oh, mean, really? older, I think he probably shrunk a little bit. But yeah, <laughs> um, Uncle Walter and my dad were pretty tall. Oh, wow. See, I guess I, I just got the short side of the family or whatever. So I always thought like it was so weird that they were they weren't that tall because they were all like five ten, five Uncle nine. Lonnie, Uncle Lonnie was a lot shorter. He must have been he might have been about five ten. Yeah, he was a lot shorter than my dad. 
Yeah, my dad was 5'10". I think my brother got to be 5'11 and stuff. Um, they all have really small feet, too. Like, um, my dad wore a size 9 in men's and uh, and stuff. And, and he was really small framed. He was, like, barely got above 145 pounds at, at his heaviest. Um, and so when I look at pictures of the Coda people, they're built very skinny, shorter dudes. You know, and not, like, not, you know, like, not my size, but, like, it's five, so five seven, like, they're smaller. The polygamous thing also, um, because like literally every man in our family is a Yeah. And then in my case, like I'm polyamorous. And so I like, I was like, is there something to my DNA that is telling me like, don't be with one partner, you know, things like that. But given that all of my grandfather, like my grandfather's my dad, most of his brothers that I can tell, like everybody was out on these streets. The stories I've heard about the older generation being out on the streets too. Like, I was like, maybe there's something to where we come from is just you know it's cycling just through <laughs> just inherently like out on the yeah. streets my dad um, my dad had yeah he had his uh fair share of uh second families <laughs> you know what i'm saying so like i just think um and it's you know like there's the pain aspect of it but there's also just the it started to get funnier as i went back into the further generation like further back into the right, generation right. it's like none of these motherfuckers none of them could be you know like faithful in some way shape or form um and so like there started being things that i was connecting to and so that was kind of the motivation behind really seeking out the african side of it on the asian side of it i wasn't too concerned because i figured with with both of my sides of the family being um samurai like blood purity was supposed to be really important so the the likelihood that they dipped outside of their uh class was very you know not likely. I think the biggest significant thing was that my great grandmother married my great grandfather, despite being a slightly lower class samurai. Because, well, also, I see. I keep saying that they're samurai, but that period had ended. But they, my grandmother, was raised with her grandmother in the house, and her grandmother was the last generation of the samurai. You know, when they were like an illegal entity and things like that. And so she has those ideas like she has she's she's semi raised, basically, Um, because it's a generation after her that doesn't have any of those principles at play and and all that other kind of stuff. Um, And so, you know, that that's why the curiosity was more about finding out the African side. And then I think it was around that time also that I started reaching out to the Franklins, the extended Franklins as well, because I was just like, you know, I know my family's got their problems, but I don't know if that, if that excludes all of the friends, like, are there good people <laughs> that I'm related to that I can like connect with? And, and that was, that was kind of a need that I had at the time. And, you know, I'll be honest, it's a mixed bag. There's some people I've connected to and it's been great. And the conversations have been lovely. Then there's been a couple that have ended up creeping me out a little bit, you know? <laughs> uh, and it, so it is with everyone in this world doesn't know <laughs> or not, you know, I, yeah, I keep a very small circle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Crazy. But this has been awesome. I'm so glad that we did connect. Um, and I think it's so weird because this is going to sound really weird. Because you are also Black and Japanese, even though we're related on my dad's side of the family, I, I'm thinking of you in a way of like both sides of my family connected just because we, you know, the Black side and the Japanese right. side. Um, I'm just excited to to have another person. It would have been nice to know you growing up just to, just to have yeah, people like to. us. Yeah, yeah, like, because to try to explain to, to people like why, 
and maybe I don't know that we can get into this later on in offline or whatever, but like pronouncing certain words because I heard it with a Japanese accent versus speaking it in English and stuff like, and the way kids would respond to me that way, like little things like that, I think would have been nice to just like connect with or not having to explain why I'm taking my shoes off or why, you know, like all these things that, that ended up being something that set me apart because every time I went to kids' houses as a, as a black kid, when I would do something, they would say to their parents, Oh, she, she got a Japanese mom. So it was always explaining my weirdness yeah to them was because I had a Japanese mom and so I have a little bit of I like I'm curious about how that impacted um possibly you too in the way that in the way that you grew up but I'm so glad that you did this with me um and I know we'll just need to keep talking more and more so we can find out and then maybe I'll find out that I'm related to you now I'm I'm actually really interested in taking this (laughs) I I never really cared so much about finding out stuff about my family and stuff yeah never but uh, you know like after talking with you a couple times i'm like yeah i think we should just do it one one thing i'll tell you um the the japanese weirdness thing um when i was growing up my mom you know japanese culture is very much like anytime you go somewhere you bring something with you Mm -hmm. yes and but like my friends never did that you know like i would actually my mom would be like here take this box of chocolates or here take this you know whatever fruits you know and i would actually throw it away because i was too embarrassed that- you did yeah yeah oh my god <laughs> no like we don't do that so i would just like you know she'd get like a little box of seeds candy or whatever and i would just like chuck it before i went that's to so my funny house. yeah the amount of families we got addicted to hawaiian host from just bringing boxes and boxes of that chocolate back home every yeah. every summer um that's funny i yeah i would never like i even i to this day i still stress out when i end up going to someone's house and i don't bring something and <laughs> and i'll blame it on my on my husband too because i'll be like you weren't raised right so you don't know that we should need to bring something he's like they've told us they told us bring ourselves you, and i right? was like i was like bring ourselves that's nonsense you know like i need to get a cake or a bread or something yeah. like i need to bring something well, um, that's a very strong in, in Hawaiian culture as well. So it's like, that's totally normal now here in Hawaii. Oh, but good. Yeah, like growing up in California, I was like, dude, nobody does that. The one thing that I think I did start to get used to not doing and is mostly because of general poverty is not buying the gifts to bring back when I come back from vacation. So yeah. like I've taken three trips recently in the last three weeks and I didn't bring anything home for my husband. I didn't bring, you know, like I, I, I do have like a something that someone gave me that I'm going to give to a friend, but I didn't purchase it. You know, like, it's just not something I like, but I think it's something that they'll like, but stopping myself from doing that, because then I had to budget that into my trip, you know, like bringing stuff to people and taking stuff back. Uh, So that one I did kind of get over, but I still feel guilt about it. Like Japanese guilt is a, is a strong thing. It's strong. (laughs) All right. So the last question, the question I usually ask all of my guests before we get out of here, partially born out of how painful the early episodes of the show was like how much pain people had in their, in their mixed uh, upbringing, but it's not necessarily happening like that as much now, but I like to ask all my guests, what do you love most about being a mixed person? Um, I think I just love, you know, um, I, I love all mixtures, right? Like, I just think that people are just so unique and um, in the way I'm, I'm so sweaty. Sorry. <laughs> it's hot in here. Uh, but yeah, I just think, um, you know, I, I myself, I feel like people tell me, you know, like, oh, they have a hard time guessing what I am, you know, mm-hmm. and they, you know, I kind of like that. It just kind of makes me feel a little bit more individual, I guess. And okay. um, unique. 
when I went and I just like I was just even telling my my boyfriend recently like I wish like everybody would just start like mixing with each other and then you know like maybe that would just end <laughs> racism I, I don't think it would end racism though <laughs> it wouldn't you know it wouldn't but you know it's just like if you don't know what anybody is and we're all just mixed with something I yeah. mean I think that that would be a cool thing I, um, I definitely wish we were borderless I think that would be greater better sure <laughs> another thing that will never happen yeah, yeah. <laughs> So. <laughs> that's cool well thank you again for doing this with me um it's it, it was it legit was like a fantasy of mine to be able to do this on my show and I was I'm surprised it's taken me four years to to find a relative that I could talk to um <laughs> on the show but thank you so much for doing this with me oh, thank you um, for having me this and do you want to tell anybody how to find your show I mean I know you said you don't promote it or anything like that <laughs> but you want to maybe if someone wants to check out look I, like, I was gonna say I'll say I'll tell you we're on YouTube rated H, the rated HR show but we are only for a certain type of person. <laughs> we, we have a different take on the world and on life. So I would say beware and join at your own risk. But yeah, rated H, rated HR show. On rated YouTube. HR show. Yeah. All right. I'll put a link in the show notes just in case someone wants to check it out. Um, and then hopefully whenever I get my, my butt back to Hawaii, um, I can see y'all in person and we can For do sure. some kind of podcasty thing together since we're Absolutely. both Absolutely. Yes. Do it. All right. Uh, so everybody out there, don't forget to be your mixed ass self. Militantly Mix is a main hustle media podcast produced and hosted by me, Charmaine Fury. Music is by David Bogan, the one. You can follow us on social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Militantly Mixed. If you'd like to become a sponsor of Militantly Mixed, please go to patreon.com slash militantlymixed for monthly sponsorship or paypal.me slash militantlymixed for a one-time only donation. And if you like what you hear on Militantly Mixed, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget to be your mixed-ass self. Main Hustle Media. Turn your side hustle into your main hustle.